gospel is a very particular word or kind of speech in the Bible. From Genesis to Revelation, the gospel is God's promise of a son who will crush the serpent's head, forgive the sins of his people, raise them from the dead, and give them everlasting life solely on the basis of his grace for the sake of Christ. If you're interested in the, the beginnings of the church, you know, I think looking at the creed is a great way of, of getting into church history and really seeing where the faith kind of came together. In the scripture, the way it presents discernment is actually the skill that you develop where you're able to identify goodness. And what was surprising to me is that is much the way we use the language of discernment outside of the church. The real difference, I would say, like what patriarchy teaches versus what we should believe, is that what they believe about the nature of men and women, that there is something fundamentally different about authority and submission between men and women. And that's not just like within particular relationships, but men and women in general. This is their nature. What are the duties required in the Ninth Commandment? The duties required in the Ninth Commandment are the preserving and promoting of truth between man and man. The Gospel never tells us something to do. The Gospel tells us about something that's been done. Hi, welcome to Theology Gals. This is Colleen Sharp, and Rachel Miller is my co-host. And today we are joined by Mary DeMuth. That's the first time she's joining us, but you know she has several books. But today we're going to talk to her about her book, Love, Pray, Listen, Parenting Your Wayward Adult Kids with Joy. And I, I can tell you how necessary this book is. This is something that a lot of times people will ask me, do you know a good book on this subject? And I didn't until now. So why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and why you wrote this book? Sure. So um, I am an author of over 40 books. I am a podcaster of the Pray Every Day show, and I am an artist and a literary agent and I wear a lot of hats, a speaker. Um, and I live in the Dallas, Texas area. I've got three adult children married to my husband of almost 33 years now. And um, the reason I wrote this book was that several years ago, I was on a prayer loop with a lady who whose joy rose and fell on the decisions of her adult kids and mostly fell. And I, at that time, my kids were maybe, you know, early teens. And I just kind of made a little note to myself that I didn't want to have that happen to me. Um, but then my kids grew up and they started making these maddening decisions on their own without me and without my expertise and help. <laughs> and uh, I found myself kind of falling into that rut of oh my goodness, my joy is rising and falling on the decisions my adult kids make. And so I went on a journey with the Lord trying to figure out how can I find joy and how can I be godly and how can I exhibit the love of Christ uh, no matter what kind of lifestyle or decisions my kids are making. And so the um, that exploration became this book. Thank you for sharing that uh, with us, Mary. And, and like Colleen said, um, it really is a very necessary topic. Uh, 
my boys, I have two that are uh, 18 or over now, one who's still a teenager. And, you know, as I was reading through it and thinking through, you know, that transition of um, how to move from parent of little kids to teenagers and now into the parent of adult children. Um, and there are so many, as I talk to my friends, there's so many new challenges that we're facing. Um, the the title of your book, Love, Pray, Listen, um, how did you develop this approach and how can we incorporate these steps into our lives with our grown kids? Well, I asked myself the question, well, first of all, as a control freak, typically, um, once my kids left the nest, I realized that control was actually an illusion at best, but I thought I had it when they were in my nest and when they were out, they no longer, I no longer had it. And so I asked myself the question, what can I do? I can't control, nor should I control or want to control, but what can I do? I can love them. There's no one preventing me from loving them. I can pray for them. No one's preventing me from praying for them. And if I'm still in a relationship with them, I can listen to them. I can actively listen and dignify them by listening to their stories and so that really, that question is what um, formed the title of the book. And then the structure of the book came as I was praying about it. And the Lord reminded me of the First Corinthians 13 passage that defines love. And um, it's typically read at weddings. It's not a wedding passage at all. Paul is actually writing it to a broken Corinthian church full of really messy relationships. And so it's actually a relation, relational passage. So I thought this makes sense. This will, I will apply what I learn in the Greek. And uh, as I go through the exploration of these verses, I will apply that to how I live and move and breathe with my adult kids. So I have four grown children, and um, I saw the same thing that that you described, where um, it it seemed like people that they'd have a child that would grow up and rebel or leave the faith or um, any number of things that their their whole life kind of was dependent on whether their ch- children made the decisions they hoped they would, and and I have a child who's left the faith and um you know it's, it's it's been challenging but one of the things that that hit me several years ago is as much as we say i trust the lord i realize i i trust myself more mm-hmm. with with my kids than i trusted the lord and going through that whole process of what does it mean to trust the lord with my kids and a lot of things that that you say are things that I have thought about a lot. Um, and one of the things I want to say for our listeners, uh, the chapters have a little section at the end of of each chapter that kind of a love, pray, and listen section. So some, you know, if you're somebody who's going through this, I think those activities will be helpful. So you you use First Corinthians thirteen, like you talked about, as an outline for the book. What can we learn about parenting from studying this passage? Well, it's really, in fact, I've had people contact me and say, "This is actually just a discipleship book." <laughs> it's like, yeah, it actually is. The question becomes, how do we grow in Christ in our later years, and how what does sanctification look like? And and so these verses are really helpful in that. How do you become a mature believer? How do you treat people who differ from you? And um, 
you know, we can just start with the first one is the hardest, probably love is patient. Um, I think a lot of us as American Christians, we are used to convenience and we're used to having things when we want them. And the thing that the Lord's been showing me lately is that he has a different view of things than I do. And he sees the whole picture and I only see a little puzzle piece of the picture. Uh, I recently had a, a prayer request of mine that was 40 years long and uh, the Lord answered it last year. And it made me realize that I have been basically demanding that God answer my prayer in my timing with my adult kids instead of trusting him for this process of what he's doing. And that's not easy to do. That involves a lot of faith um, and it involves a lot of patience. I thought it was interesting you talked about um, getting over being a control freak uh, with your kids and uh, or being controlling and identify very strongly with that. Like I'd like to, to, be in charge of things, like things to go smoothly. And um, as we've been waiting, uh, as we were waiting this year to hear back from college for my my second son, um, I, I just kept being hit over and over again that I'm not in control. I can't make it happen. You know, I can help him with it. I can help him do things well, um, but it is, it's out of our control. I cannot make things happen. And it was just a good reminder um, <laughs> to go back and, and pray and focus on what I could do. Um, and you know, like um, like Colleen said, with as far as like wayward children and children who have who are questioning or leaving the faith, I haven't had to um, I, I confront that or address that with my own children yet. Um, but I have several friends who are dealing with it, and so I wondered if you could speak a little bit to what does it look like to be the parent of a wayward child. Yeah, I think it's pretty disorienting and. Even though the parenting books that I read when I was raising my kids didn't outright promise that if I used all their methods and my kids would come out of my parenting machine, you know, all fully formed and ready to love Jesus forever. Um, I still think it was underlying. It was an underlying message. So when parents have wayward kids, the first thing they look to is to themselves and they say, you know, how did I fail? What did I do wrong? And that's not really the necessary question. The necessary question is to go back to the Garden of Eden and realize that Adam and Eve were in a perfect environment with a perfect father, and they still chose rebellion. And so if that happened in that environment, then it is no wonder that our adult kids are going to stretch their wings and ask questions and uh, maybe go a different way than what we expected because they're born into a world that is, you know, full of decision-making opportunities. Um, and that really actually took some pressure off of me of realizing, you know, if if they were in a perfect environment and yet rebelled, then it takes a little bit of pressure off me. Now, that doesn't mean that I don't ever apologize for things that I did wrong because I think that's a really beautiful gateway into relationship back with your kids is to acknowledge what you've done wrong. Um, but it does mean that ultimately this is not in my control and I may have done the best that I could. And there, there's not a formula. So, I, I mean, I grew up in a home that was crazy, didn't know Jesus and full of all sorts of horrible things. And I met Jesus. So there's just not rhyme or reason to that. Can you talk about the dangers of comparison when it comes to parenting? 
Yeah, great question. I think one thing that will discourage us is if we compare ourselves to other families, um, especially in this stage of life, because you've got, you know, other families with kids who are highly successful or who have made all the right choices or got married and had kids right away. And it was, you know, now they're grandparents, but you're not. And just all those kinds of things that can sabotage your joy. And we have to remember that the veneer that many of us put on for social media is not the reality of the situation. You may have a picture perfect family out there that you're lamenting and comparing yourself to when they have problems just like everybody else. So that's not the question. The question is, Lord, how can I find joy today in the reality of my actual situation? And how can I find contentment and gratitude today um, without having to compare myself with somebody else? That's that's very encouraging. Um, I know it's easy to fall into the, the comparison trap. I think I was more aware of it when my kids were little, um, but I can see it even now and as they're moving on into their own um, adult choices. Um, One of the things that I see with my friends and with myself is that they're kind of twin dangers here, both pride and despair, right? Being really proud of them or be despairing over their choices. How can we keep from both pride and despair when we're parenting and working with our adult children? I think a certain dose of humility is important to, you know, definitely realize that I, I mean, I I did the best I could, but um, I'm sure I made mistakes. Um, But we can be prideful in the sense of, hey, if my kid turned out well, then, you know, we can kind of pat ourselves on the back, or we can be in the despair mode, which you talk about. um, And we can say everything that I did was wrong. And I think those two extremes are not helpful. The, the, The rock we can stand on is the fact that we've stood on Jesus Christ and we have done what we can do and we can entrust the outcome to the one who holds the outcome in his perfect hands. So one of the things that in other episodes on parenting, um, we had an episode before Rachel was was here um, with Scott Keith, who wrote a book, Being Dad, Father is a Picture of God's Grace. And well, it's for fathers. I think there was a lot for mothers too. But we do get a lot of pictures in in who the Lord is and how we can be good parents. And so you you call God the parent who empathizes. What can we learn from God about how to parent? Yes. So thankfully, we do have an empathetic God, because not only did he experience what we may be experiencing as parents of adult kids in the garden, he also experienced it on a global scale. Um, The scripture says all of us have gone astray. So he really does understand on a scale of billions what it's like to be a father of a wayward child. Um, And so I think that just having that, the fact that I can go to him and there's this camaraderie that happens when I realize I'm suffering in a similar way that the Lord suffers. I don't know if that makes sense, but it it brings me comfort oddly. Um, And then I think too, we can learn from the prodigal son story as well. And in that story, we see God the Father, or as if you bring it to the metaphorical plane, um, we see the Father 
uh, and the son leaving and the father lets the son go. And I think that is its own lesson in and of itself is that I think a lot of times we will chase after and be like, no, 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 wait. <clears throat> but the father who is a loving father lets the son go. And if you ask a um, an American or a Western person what the prodigal son story is about, they'll say, oh, that's the story where the guy goes and does a bunch of bad things and then comes back. If you say that same story or someone in um, an African context reads that story, you say, okay, what's the main point in that story? They'll say, oh, that's the story about the famine. And <clears throat> that really convicted me because I never would have thought of it that way. But if you look at the story of the prodigal son, the son didn't come back to the father until there was a famine. The famine is what caused the son's <clears throat> return. And so I think that's something that we, not that we would pray for our kids to have calamity, but that we would pray something to the effect of may the things that my adult children are doing, may the illusion of it be um, taken down, help them to see that the things that they are chasing are only going to result in famine. That That is very encouraging um, and a good way. I love to hear how um, perspective changes when we, we talk a lot about, we have a number of women in the group who are from different parts of the country or different parts of the world, and they have a different, perspe different perspectives on passages and scriptures. And I think we can learn a lot uh, by sharing those. And so I appreciate uh, hearing that from you. It's, it's very interesting. How can we transition from parenting children to parenting adults? What are some of the changes that we should expect uh, in our relationships? Well, I think this is for all mamas out there because you can be a parent of a young kid and a, or a parent of an adult kid and, and the principle is the same. When you're raising your little kids, you, you're moving from high control to low control. So, of course, when your child is two or three and they run out in the street, the control is you run after them and you grab them and you tell them a car could hit them. But when they're 19 or 20 or 23, you're not there to watch them walk into the street and you hope that you have taught them enough that they would know to look both ways when they cross. Um, so we're always, as moms, we are working our way out of a job. We are teaching our kids how to do things. And that's why it should be a gradual letting go. Um, by the time they're 18, there should have been so much responsibility given to that child that it doesn't feel as weird for them to leave the nest. But I've known parents who've done everything for their children. They've done their laundry. They've made sure they you know, cooked for them and did everything. And so when that child goes off into their world, um, there is a huge break there that happens from high control to no control. And so it's so much better if you work your way out of a, a job and go from low control to no control. I hope that makes sense. Yeah, very much. Just a little funny story. My husband was 28 when we got married and my future, then future mother-in-law had me come over. It's kind of funny thinking about it now. Um, so she could show me how she packed his lunch every day <gasps> and even how she ironed his clothes. No. Anyways, um, so yeah. And so I, because I saw that I kind of forced my kids to be independent in some different ways. Um, anyways, 
where can we find comfort when our children question the faith or walk away from the faith? This is hard, but I think it's important is, is that adult parents of adult kids need community. They need safe community. Uh, when my book released, a friend of mine texted me and said, oh my gosh, I really need that book. And I had no idea that she had wayward kids. And um, what I'm finding is there's this kind of like secretism, you know, the secret way that we go about our lives, like we'll share other things like, oh, I'm struggling in my prayer life, or I'm struggling with my weight, or whatever you might be struggling with. But to say, oh, my child has made this decision, and I'm heartbroken about it. We just have not done that enough. I think finding comfort means being willing to find a safe person, definitely emphasis on safe, (laughs) who will carry that burden with you so that you no longer feel alone. We were meant to be in community and community is the best way to bear that burden. I'm not saying go and proclaim it on social media. I'm not saying, saying, you know, tell everybody, you know, but find a safe person and unload that, that burden because the more it stays inside of you, the more it festers and you can't see straight. For those of our, our listeners who are out there today who are um, struggling with or, or coping with, dealing with children who are, are wayward, who are questioning, who are um, walking away from the faith or, or running away from them, what encouragement would you like to share today? First of all, you're not alone, and this is not an indictment against you, and for the most part, um, and I think this is freeing, it's really not about you. Um, The other thing I would say is it is very important that you grieve. I think a lot of us will just not want to think about it or we'll stuff it or we won't talk about it with a friend, as I mentioned earlier. And therefore, if we don't, it's kind of out of sight, out of mind. If we just don't think about it and don't deal with it, then um, maybe it doesn't exist, but it does exist. And it's something you need to grieve. Um, in the book, I have an exercise that I take people through. Uh, I take them through a lament Psalm, you know, there's the Psalms is full of lament Psalms. And those have a very specific structure where you say, Hey, God, I'm mad at you. <laughs> Basically, why is this happening? And then you progress through to the end where you begin to proclaim your faith in the one who carries you. And so that's um, a really interesting and beautiful way to grieve. Name what you're hurt, what's hurting, work through it. And then um, by the end, begin to proclaim the goodness of God. And that has really helped me. I was very um, tangled up inside and didn't share it with anyone, then began to share it with some safe people, then process the grief. And once I processed the grief of the decisions of uh, my kids, I was more able and more capable of seeing the small things that God was doing in their lives. The grief that was so big that was unmanaged prevented me from seeing anything because all I wanted was the big thing turned around. But when I worked through the grief, I began to see, oh my goodness, look at these little beautiful ways that I can see God's hand at work. That that describes very much what I went through also. And, um, you know, I think just a, a couple of things. I think one reason why people are afraid to share is because, quite frankly, Christians can be judgmental. 
mm-hmm. and they've maybe seen how someone else went through that was treated or gossiped about and you know it it's it's very difficult where we have so much judgment around us whether it be about our opinions on cultural things or politics or any number of things and i i even went through somebody said to me i don't know what you did wrong <laughs> i was <laughs> like wow okay <laughs> but there is even if somebody doesn't doesn't say that out loud there there is you kind of feel that coming i i like what you said about finding a safe person to go to and talk talk about that and i wanted to share just i know we have people listening that are going through this right now and um we witnessed kind of a, a neat thing that happened a few years ago with a a family friend he he wasn't a christian and his mom was a christian and she had cancer and on her deathbed reiterated the gospel and and whatnot and it was after she died that he started reading through her bible and ended up becoming a christian and mm-hmm. i i thought that was uh so encouraging that the whole story is and his his life has changed so things like that where you see the lord is working and i i like what you said about you, even in those little things that you see in and focusing on the relationship with with your children because i i've seen you know people that are our age we've seen friends that their their children have walked away and i witnessed a couple instances where the relationship completely broke down between the parents and um the child could you talk maybe just a little bit about ways to cultivate you've talked about a little bit but to cultivate that relationship um maybe even little practical ways yeah i it is so important to maintain that relationship but i do want to say that there are times when uh parents have been ghosted by their kids and so it's not necessarily the parents decision it's the child has walked away and uh, through no fault of the parent at all. And so that's a very hard place to be as well. And I just want to dignify that. And to those who have been, you know, canceled by their kids, it's it's a very dark, dark place. But some a pra- couple practical things to do to maintain that relationship. One is to really try, instead of preaching, try to find some common ground together. And so an example of that would be um, sitting around the table when you are all gathered back together. And let's say a very controversial issue comes up like abortion. And so one thing that we've been able to do as a family is to kind of tease apart the issue and say, okay, we disagree maybe on different parts of this issue, but let's find something we do agree on. And so through, you know, kindness and no raised voices, we all could say we really want new mothers to flourish. And, and so there are ways of finding common ground. Unfortunately, we live in a, uh, you're right and I'm wrong or I'm, you know, I'm right and you're wrong. And 
there is so much more nuance out there where we can find common ground and we've lost the art of that. Another thing to do that something I've done that has been really helpful and very fun is to listen to my kids' lives. And when I perceive a need for them, um, like they may say something like, oh, I would really like to be able to hang my clothes outside, but I don't have a clothesline. And, and I'll think, oh, I can solve that problem for them and just send it to them surprisingly, um, not on their birthday, not you know on a special day, but just to really listen to their lives and, and bless them with things that might be helpful to them. It doesn't have to be something physical. It could be that maybe they're struggling in a relationship and you found an article online that addresses that very specific issue and you send it to them. Just be listening to their lives and seek their prosperity, seek them to flourish, seek God on their behalf for their flourishing. That's some great practical advice. Um, I I think that you mentioned this in the beginning, that this book is really helpful, I think, for all of life because it, it could be your children, it could be old friends, could be other family members. And um, like what you said about the talking about difficult topics, there is a podcast I listen to that always says, don't hate your neighbor, love your neighbor. You have Mm -hmm. more in common than where you disagree. And I think that's so true when you focus on those areas where you agree. So we're going to link your podcast in the episode notes and your website. Um, Do you have any other resources or blog articles? you think would be helpful? And we'll link yes. the book also. Oh, great. Thanks. Um, so they, uh, I have a gift for your listeners. They can go to marydemuth.com slash LPL, which stands for Love, Pray, Listen. Uh, marydemuth.com slash LPL. And there are 52 prayers that they can print off for their um, adult kids. They don't even have to be wayward adult kids, just adult kids. And so you can pray one a week for the whole year and there are blanks in them. So you can put your child's name in there as well. Oh, that's wonderful. What a great resource. We'll link that in the episode notes also. Thank you, Mary, so much for joining us. And do check out um, other of Mary's books because she has quite a few out there. 